Welcome to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. How's it going? Uh, it's pretty good. I, uh, I'm, I've got winter madness. Yeah, maybe the, the Januaryness of it all is really making me worried about how February is going to suck because normally January's blah, and then February really feels like the worst that has ever existed. And I'm just already there. Yeah, I always forget. And mind you, this year I am going to be 40 years old that it's not nice in March. And I always think it's going to be nice on my birthday. And it absolutely never is. I hear Rosie. Hello, oh, Rosie. Yes. She also hates the winter, but for different reasons. Mostly the global warming uh, implications of there being less snow. Less snow? She wants more snow? She wants more snow because she hates the rain, but she loves the snow. Oh, okay. Interesting. I would have assumed because she's very low to the ground that snow would be a very, like, overwhelming, unpleasant experience. Although I guess she has a fur coat on all the time. Yeah, she loves to bound around in the snow. She sort of hops through it uh, a little bit (laughs) like a dolphin. Um, oh my God. You have to send video if, I, if and when this happens. Video. Yeah. Okay. This year it's been hard to find. I have some somewhere. Uh, but the rain, she looks at me uh, <laughs> with incredibly, uh, like, incredibly uh, sad eyes and sure. her ears are back and she'll just run under the closest awning. Um, that's also how know. I look at people when it's raining. I uh, That's fair. Don't want to be outside in it. My eyes are very sad. My ears flatten. Um, a lot of crying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I talk a little bit about the incredibly, the saga of this incredibly strange scam that seems to oh, be yeah. continuing? Really? Oh my God. Yes. Because this was so weird. When you okay. And I kind of feel like it's a PSA. Yeah. And it- it's so specific that I'm like wondering, I just don't know what this could possibly be. But so I get a call yesterday afternoon. It's Friday. I'm just chilling. For whatever reason, I pick up the phone because frankly, I don't trust myself to totally remember that I've agreed to do something or like I get calls from people now because I am freelancing. So a New York number, I say, well, maybe it's somebody that I've been working with that has a question. Right. I. Uh, I pick it up and it's someone who's like, hi, this is Cody from, and it sounded like he was, he said Capital Inc., which I thought was like, okay, tattoo parlor. That's weird. (laughs) Uh, But then he said, I have you down as a point of contact for, and then said my sister's name, but mispronounced it. Mm. Uh, So I was like, well, this doesn't make any sense, but I wonder if he's mispronouncing it. And I was like, I don't, I mean, but I, I know someone who has a name sort of like that. Can you spell it? And the dude hangs up. Okay. Yeah. That is like major red flag. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Seven minutes later, my sister gets a call. Same person. That's the doesn't identify himself as where he's calling from, but says he has to confirm some location information with her. Oh, that that's the really creepy part. Cause when you told me the first part, I was like, yeah, standard scammer. But the fact that he also has my sister's your sister, number. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? Uh, so I, I was like, I just had the weirdest thing. Do you have any stalkers or did you like decide to get a tattoo and not tell me? <laughs> it's I mean, always and, the tattoo thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, my sister is the kind of person who swipes left on a photo of a dude who has tattoos. Mm. She does not like them at all. So I knew that this was very strange. Um, So she sends me a little screenshot of the transcript of the message and it's the same number. Like Mm. what's going on here. I send this, I send that screenshot to my parents saying, Hey, maybe somebody who's scamming has gotten our cell phone numbers or like bought our names off of a list somehow, because like, we all, when we got phone numbers, we got them on a family plan because teenagers. Sure. Uh, and so our numbers are all kind of like similar, very simple, like easily could be connected. Mm-hmm. Yep. This morning, just now, like just a few minutes ago, 
a text from my dad saying the same person called no. the landline at our house yesterday. What the, the fuck? landline at the exact same? It was but yesterday at three fifty eight. So three minutes after calling my sister. What if it's not a scam and it's just someone who very urgently needs to get in contact with your family? Well, when he contacted my sister and left a message, instead of saying Dana, he said, well, he's, he called me, he said Deanna instead of Dana. And when he mm. called Dana, he said Donna. Weird. So I'm like, this is this guy just trying every possible Yeah. Uh, but it's so weird that it's name. like, it's, it's so strange that it's the entire family. That's the part that like, takes it to next level creepy i know and like it would be one thing if this was a number uh from the city of madison dane county any wisconsin right area code it's a 716 number that's yeah. new york state right so what you, is you going must on? be it must be through you though right because you're the only new york person you would think so but then how the hell did they get my parents home land yeah oh yeah. Oh man, that is so creepy. They must have just like mined your information and somewhere in your digital footprint is your parents' landline number and Dana's number. But like that is so, it's so much deeper than most scams go that I'm like, I almost want one of you to like try to pry information out of this guy. Like, who are you? Like, what is that? What's the scam? You know? I know. And, and I also keep thinking, well, like, what if this is something legitimate but that's not ca- the case either because I'm not my sister's emergency contact. I also so, can't think of like what a legitimate reason would be to call your parents' landline number, you know? Yeah. All of this is like, okay, why? So if any of you have any weird theories, have yeah. seen this before, please let us know. I'm so curious. I know this is a lot of details and of course, probably opening myself up to more scams, but it was, I'm so disturbed. And also, if this is a legitimate attempt to get information about something or or somebody's trying to take care of a thing, don't do this. No. Find a different way. It's very upsetting. Also, state your business, sir. Like, if it's a legitimate thing, you say it immediately. You don't start, like, calling the sister and the parents. So I, I think it's, I'm 99% sure it is a scam and you are correct. But I'm just curious. I'm like, this is like a deep scam. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, super weird. So, so weird. Uh, anyway, the fact that we've now confirmed that the saga continued yeah. and it all happened yesterday afternoon, it's what just so, so strange. Like, the scams are getting so elaborate. Like, back in the day, you know, if I had an older relative who was like, so-and-so emailed me. They're a Nigerian prince. Should I send them my information? It was sort of like eye-rolling. You know, it's like, how do you not know this is a scam? But now, when I hear, like, actually how some of these places are, like, attacking seniors online, I'm like, dude, some of these scams, are they look real. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, honestly, there have been times when I've had moments where I was like, oh, shit, this does, like, maybe this is yeah legitimate for a minute and then you know my i come to my senses like it is all it takes is one day of like bad night sleep and yes. some mental fuzz yep. to click on the wrong link and suddenly like lock yourself out of all of your socials or like change your bank account password it's really amazing uh to me because like this stuff works the attacks end up working be- like more often than you want to believe Yeah. And like, honestly, a lot of it is like phone scams. That's what like, you know, Real Housewives Jen Shaw is going to prison for because she is a terrible person who scammed seniors out of their life savings. Um, Yeah, she's she's awful. Funny Um, when Eleanor does it on The Good Place, not funny in real life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But yeah, like the phone scams are really bad. So if you have an older relative, I don't know, maybe check in on them. (laughs) Make sure they're not giving away their life savings to someone because it happens more often than you think. I am definitely uh, going back to never answering the phone. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's the thing where like I was giving advice to someone who was like worried about scamming. And I was like, if someone like say the bank actually needs to get in touch with you, they're going to try like six different ways to get in touch with you. They're going to like mail you something. They'll email you. They'll probably call you. 
But like, don't feel pressure to like believe a single email you got from like a shady looking address. Like you're not going to get in trouble if you don't believe that's the bank, you know? Right. And uh, like you can always, this is one of those things where if you ever got something, if you ever get an you know, uh, alert about something, always like reach out to whatever number the yes. support is and ask about it. Like hundred percent. And also there is no need. You can Google like, you know, Chase Bank will have like, hey, here are some phishing email addresses that have been hitting up our customers. They're not real. So like Google, just don't click on anything. Right. Uh, not sure why this turned into a PSA. I know. Of our, reader, our listeners are actually like, are definitely very savvy, but I also just, I don't know, especially after the seeing the movies this week and how badly I've been sleeping. I just don't need this kind of creep in my life. No, that's like, and, and I want updates. We can have like scam corner at the top of <laughs> the show. Um, yeah, I'm so curious. So please uh, let me know if you get any updates. I have an update for something I tweeted very unthinkingly uh, the other week. And I, I'm not on Twitter as much these days. So sometimes I'll just like tweet something out and then forget about it. And I started to get like texts from people who were like, what the fuck is this? Guys, I'm not going to dance around it. I'm just going to say it. A lady threw a baby at me. Okay. And <laughs> Wait, I, what? I, I tweeted it out and like, I don't know why I didn't realize how insane it sounded, but like my mom reached out. She was like, what happened? So I'm not exaggerating. I was on the subway and there, um, we pulled into the station and a very frazzled mom got onto the subway and she had her, she was holding her kid by his hand and like asking me to estimate a child's age is sort of ridiculous because I don't have a frame of reference. Like a kid could be eight or a kid could be two to me, you know? Yeah. But he was very little. So I think he was like two or three. And what I think she meant to do was pick him up by the arm, which you shouldn't do. You can separate a kid's shoulder doing that. But like she was I'm not judging her. Like she clearly was at the end of her rope with him. Um, and she meant to like place him next to me. What she ended up doing was whipping her child into me <laughs> to the point where he was fully on my lap. And the woman across from me gasped because <gasps> it, it looked like she just like decided to beat me with her child. And then <laughs> this was the, the amazing move yanks him off, does not acknowledge me, and just sits down and hands him an iPad. Like, this is what it is now. You need to, like, leave me alone. And I was like, I'm not saying shit to this woman. Like, she will fully beat my ass. She's, like, at the absolute end of her rope. So, no exaggeration, though, like, threw her baby at me. Oh, my God. Yeah. That would make a great video game. Oh, throw the baby? Yeah. So yeah. what what would the objective be? Like you throw your baby at people and you get like money or like coins. Is it sort of like Grand Theft Auto where you can run people over and then take their money? Sure. I don't know. I hadn't thought like further that. than the weapon being the baby. I like that. No, I'd play that. I also like, <laughs> I think something like that would not have even been tweet worthy to me before, but I so rarely ride the subway these days that I was able to process how insane it was. Whereas before my brain was just, you know, overwrought and nothing seems weird when you live in the right. city. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I know that feeling, but I was just sitting there and I'm like, that woman just threw a fucking baby at me. So I tweeted it and then I completely forgot. And then I, like I said, I don't check Twitter as much these days. I don't have my notifications on. So I had to like go to the website and I was like, we got a lot of notifications and DMs from people. And they were like, what the fuck? Who threw their fucking baby? <laughs> <You know? laughs> they were like, and oh, of course, sure. I'm sure they wanted to know, like, is it a, was it a baby baby? Was right. it a toddler? Like, and especially like my friends who have kids. I'm like, y'all, I don't fucking know. He was real little. I don't like, he was small enough to throw at me. I don't know what age that is. Is throwing weight two or three? Cause that's what happened. Yeah. Probably two at the oldest three kids start getting to be like human sized. I should mention too, he did not react at all. So I was like, has she done this before? Does she just like whip her baby at people on the subway? Cause he just landed on my lap like, hello. And I was like, cool. 
cool, cool and normal and chill and all that stuff. Again, no judgment. I'm not a parent, but I don't think you should throw your kids at people. Is no, my generally point. speaking, that seems ill-advised. Yeah. So uh, before we get to recommendations and all that business, I just had a general question for you because like, I'm very self-conscious now about how we start these episodes because I want to give you something to like, I want to like give you something juicy to like riff on, not just like, how are you? How are things? You know, like stuff like that. So I saw a viral tweet the other day that was about uh, a woman who was like, uh, we were all, we all had our wedding Pinterest boards in high school. Like just stated Uh this as though it was like commonplace knowledge. And actually all of the comments too were like, oh yeah, I had a wedding idea, Pinterest board, or uh, if not Pinterest, then like, oh yeah, like I would like cut out images from magazines. And it was just, I mean, hundreds of these tweets. And I was thinking about it. And I'm like, the idea of a wedding never even crossed my mind as a child, um, as something aspirational or something I would even do one day, maybe like very abstractly. But did you ever like think about your dream dress or anything like that? Probably not until I was engaged. Mm-hmm. When I was in my 30s. But it wasn't like a fantasy you had as a little girl. No. Okay, that's my question because I'm like, I I never had that fantasy. And I also, none of my female friends that I know of ever obsessed like that. So I was kind of like, why is, I, I was just surprised. I was kind of like, and this I should say this was also like in progressive sphere, not like conservative Twitter. Yeah. So there's um, no, this was not a trad wife situation. Exactly, exactly. Um, like very cool, uh, young city woman, like working gal, and also just happened to have uh, a Pinterest board about her wedding when she was a kid. And again, no shame uh, or no shade. Like that's cool. But I was just sort of like, I can't imagine being in high school and sitting down at my Pinterest and like dragging it. First of all, I didn't have Pinterest when I was in high school. But uh, or really as a grown woman, Um, but just like, you know, archiving images, I I was like, I thought it was so interesting where I was like, really still? And like, again, not in conservative land, in like progressive land. I mean, this seems actually I can believe it. There aren't a whole lot of big parties that we dream Mm. about that allow us to do like full mood board insanity don't you think but can i propose Um, something why don't we just have more parties that involve mood boards you know where it's like that's i that was generally where i was going with that yeah like like, like, i think that's really cool to like put a lot of work into a party and have a theme and oh my god i love a theme at a party are you kidding if i have to dress up in a costume and it's not halloween i'm like this is heaven I would totally support doing more of that, but like to specifically obsess with what is essentially a party that's going to put you in God, $20,000 worth of debt to a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. Like is wild to me when you could just take a fraction of that and have an awesome party, you know? Well, and then there has to be certain things like, the floral arrangements end up having specific elements to them. And you need to think about the covers for your chairs. These are all things that no one with brain space available should be using, like should be spending time on. I mean, like the thing is like, if you get genuine joy out of it, like I had a friend who she had such an amazing time planning her own wedding that she switched careers afterwards and became a wedding planner. Yeah, but that's like how you discover your true, like that's the exactly. story of like discovering your true skills and passion. Like, like you are one of the few people that actually enjoys this and so much so that you can make it a career. And like she had a really good experience with her wedding planner and her wedding planner like truly made it the most magical day ever that she was like, I want to give people that same gift, which I, I was like, that's beautiful. And like you said, she's really good at it. So I understand her obsession, but like 
the fact that it was like sort of universal agreement in the comment section, I was like, what is happening y'all? Cause it's like now 2023 are women still doing this? And like, again, I am Michael Shannon in revolutionary road. And I realize I don't process emotions like the majority of people. So I am the outlier here, but mm-hmm. I was like, it was one of those moments where you truly feel like an alien. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, this happened to me last weekend when I went to Chicago, it's supposed to be a thing that was a celebration for a friend. Uh, that friend has children. One of them got sick and she could no longer go. And I had no concept of what to expect or what was normal to me. I was just like, well, what do you mean? She's like, she can't be that dehydrated. Oh, you're taking her to the ER? Like, oh, she has to stay overnight? How can a baby have to stay overnight? Isn't it like, oh, well, God, how clingy can you be? And thinking, I don't know anything about children. You, you text, (laughs) you, you texting me about it was like, oh my God, you know, like you were just like, how dehydrated can a baby get? And I was like, I don't know. I had one thrown at me on the subway. Like, (laughs) You and I trying to figure out like how parents function with kids. I was just like, because you were wondering, you're like, do you think she's going to be able to go? And I was like, I don't like, how long does it take to rehydrate a kid? (laughs) I don't know. I'm just thinking about it. Like, it's like, I barely know how to soak beans. But in my head, rehydrating a baby is basically the same thing. You just put it in a bowl, like run it under the kitchen sink. Why are you mad? I don't know how you parent. Oh my God. We are at the very least really getting ourselves well. Like we're setting ourselves up nicely for our 40s. Like we are. I can't wait, dude. Fully prepared. I'm like fucking jazzed. Like. And I thought I was going to have like anxiety or a midlife crisis. And I'm like, this fucking rules. Cause I, I feel like I've always been old spiritually and now I'm just like old in reality. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like I feel better than ever. Not to brag. I look better than ever. Uh, and I like know myself really well now and I feel no pressure to be anything else. That's see, that's really the only important thing. And yeah, it's pretty great. Like it actually is really quite nice to be aging. Beautiful feelings. Yeah. Like, especially when you're comfortable with like your decisions and where you're at in life. Cause like, dude, I'm so glad I'm like so grateful for our friendship because if I just had friends who were married and had kids, I think I would feel so lonely, but I've got people like you. I have like a ton of queer friends who just mm-hmm. you know, don't have kids, aren't married, are just living fabulous lives where they brunch every day. And like, they make me feel like I have a community too. So like, and you know, also like straight people who didn't get married, who are still in the city, but definitely like, as you get older, the, the straight friend populace starts to thin a bit because <laughs> it's like they get married, they move to the suburbs, but you know, your queer friends are still like, are we doing this? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, it took me a really long, I mean, just this week I sent a text to one of my, uh, gay friends here who's in his forties and still lives pretty spectacularly. Uh, because I realized that Aaron Carter always gave me the same vibes as a boy that we knew in middle school who was, he was like that creep who still managed to have a lot of sex. Oh, even sure. He was like gross and scrawny. Yeah. And had like, had that like 90s vanilla ice thing going on. Sure. Um, I was like, they have the same vibe. Like, I want my brain to use, like, to be used for those sorts of thoughts. Me I do too. not have space for uh, things like, how do you hydrate a baby? No, can't do it. No, thanks. Um, no. Well, on that anyway. note, we've, we've <laughs> made the right life decisions. I hope you all have made the right life decisions uh, as well. If not, don't worry. Um, everybody makes mistakes. Plenty of time to correct them. Um But on that note, let's get to some recommendations because we've got some good ones this week. Let's just get into it. Skinamarink. Oh, boy. This. Hey. Yeah. I want. Can I start by just by saying. Absolutely. I had a harder time sleeping even last night than I should have because 
it was dark and it was quiet and something, there was a sound in my apartment, Ooh, which is yeah. small, but the sound freaked me out. And I like had to turn on my lights and look around the apartment and then get wow. back to bed. I mean, that is a, a, a stirring endorsement. I don't think I connected with it on quite that deep of a level. Um, first of all, we should say uh, the film was directed by Kyle Edward Ball. And the thing that I just love about Skidamarink is it was made on a $15,000 budget. Yep. Which when you hear small budget, uh, when Hollywood uses that term small budget, usually what they're talking about is one to $2 million. Um, not 15,000. Like no. that is practically, you made the film on nothing. I mean, $15,000 is probably less than my credit limit on <laughs> one of my credit cards. Yeah, for real, for real. And like, Partly how Kyle was able to do that was he shot in his childhood home. Um, the premise of Skinnamarink is it is a horror story told entirely uh, from the perspective of a little kid who is uh, wakes up one evening to discover that his parents are gone and all of the exits and windows of their home have disappeared. So they're trapped in this house with no exits. And also, guys, there's like a demon or something that is tormenting him and his sister and sometimes uh, adopts the voices of his parents and plays all kinds of fucked up mind games with them. And again, he is a child, so it's like extra scary. And not like a like a kid actor, like a child. Like these children are... Plausibly, they're like four and six, probably. Very, very little, which is like makes it so sad and scary um, that yeah. they're alone. And also that this thing is like tormenting them into like hurting themselves. Like it's it's very psychological. I told Meredith, I think this film was really marketed badly because just based on what I was hearing from uh, people who were in my screening and we had quite a few walkouts. You said you had some, too. Yeah, but like I said, they looked like people who had zero idea and, I don't know, they came, they ate their food, they left. Uh, yeah, so. I think uh, this was really being marketed as, like, the next Blair Witch, which I think was a mistake. And I heard people saying stuff like, I thought it would be scarier. And, like, I think they thought there would be, like, jump scares. And that's not what Skinnamarink is. Um, I was, like, actively mad for the first third of the film. And then there's a moment, there's something happens where I was like immediately on board, but it is very, very slow. And I, I'm just sharing that with people, not as a spoiler, because I don't think it is a spoiler, but so you're in the right mindset going in. Yeah. I mean, this is very much another useful bit of context is that uh, the director was making short videos on YouTube where like people basically submitted their like yes. stories of their own nightmares. And then he would make little short vibe heavy videos of like to create them. Uh, and this is like stretching that out to feature length. It is very, very much about the eerie kind of sick feeling mm. that you have as a kid when you wake up in the night and you feel like something's wrong and it's dark and you're afraid to turn on your light, but mm. you know, you have to, and then you start calling for your parents and they come in and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Go so back to sleep. I wanted to get your theory about what was actually happening in this movie. Um, I just wanted to mention something quickly. Something I didn't connect was, uh, like I said, this film is, entirely the perspective of the child but I, what I didn't connect is the perspective is oftentimes just like staring at a ceiling or staring at a corner of a room and a reviewer I was listening to they interpreted that as a uh, sleep paralysis which just takes it to another terrifying level because in my mind he's awake and he can like move around, but they interpreted it as he's frozen and he can hear the voice taunting him and he can't move. 
And like, I, I have sleep paralysis and I didn't connect that. And when I heard that, I was like, I instantly felt sick. Oh God. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, so the interpretation part, um, I, I just like sort of casually said this thing is a demon because I don't know what else to call it. The first third of the film, how I was interpreting it as, and I guess this is like mild spoilers. If you want to go in totally fresh with Skinnamarink, skip ahead. Um, and uh, yeah, if, if you don't want to know anything, but I thought that the dad had killed them. And the reason I thought that was when the mom appears the first time on the bed and she's crying. Yeah. She says something about the dad. She like, and I don't think she's talking about the demon. She's talking about his father. So how I interpreted it at, at was that he killed them all in the middle of the night and now they're trapped in the house with him. Mm-hmm. See, I had wondered about that too. Um, I definitely got some family annihilation vibes. Right. Uh, I also thought it could be that it was, you know, the simplest explanation is the parents are getting a divorce and this is all the little boy's nightmare. Oh, okay. I like that. The, the reason I I was going with the annihilation thing was there's also that opening scene where he has, the kid has fallen down the stairs. And I think by the end of it, we're supposed to interpret that, that as the demon encouraged him to throw himself down the stairs but the way the dad is like so dismissive on the phone where he's like, I don't know. Like I just like turned around, like he was just out of my eyesight. Like he just seemed like so hostile <laughs> that I was well, kind of yeah. like, dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's why I was like, Oh, well they're getting divorced because right. like the mom, the mom ghost like says some stuff where it's like, okay, yes, of course they're, they want their parents together. So they're worried about being abandoned. So of course they wake up alone. Um, I want to talk for a minute about the cartoons. So oh, the yeah. other main characteristic of Skinnamarink, it's a lot of static shots, very, very low light, um, creepy, creepy stuff. The sense of of a movie, like somebody walking in a dark room in a movie and you know there's a jump scare coming, but the jump scare never comes is very much like how Mm. it feels in some, some places. But Mm -hmm. I ended up feeling it was more interesting than that. And some people don't. So your mileage may vary. Uh, But the kids put on little VHS tapes of old cartoons, not Disney, these other very strange things from like the 1930s. And God, that's creepy. Like, they just turned out to be extremely creepy because they're the ones with like weird crows and uh, creepy little the, songs. Yeah. <laughs> one of the boyfriends showed actually made me watch Pincushion Man uh, a, a couple of years ago <laughs> because he had watched they had watched it when they were kids. Like they had that videotape. Yeah. And I thought. Like- it oh, is that's really, upsetting. Yeah. And, and like what's so effective, one of the things that's really effective about Skinnamarink is there are these moments as a kid. And I also think like adults just forget how lonely it is to be a kid. Um, and like perhaps we don't engage enough with what kids are watching. So like, I don't know, our generation... I don't know how it was for you, but like the TV was my babysitter sometimes, you know, just because like both my parents worked and I got home from school before them and I would like just put on the TV right away, you know? Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, my mom was always home, but that didn't mean that my sister and I didn't sneak downstairs and watch stuff that we probably shouldn't have been. That's why we have such fond memories of sister sleepovers and deep indulgence into uh, Up All Night on USA with Gilbert Gottfried. (laughs) Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like you forget that you were sometimes watching very like weird shit or like, yeah, now that you're an adult with the the hindsight, like creepy shit. Like, yeah. yeah and, um, and some of the I'm sorry, why was that just lying around? It definitely had that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, you said something really interesting right after you saw the movie, which I wanted to mention. And that's you mentioned, you said that you're happy that this movie exists. Yeah. And I think that 
when people see it and we want to know how you feel about it, I do think everyone should be able to agree that it's really cool that the people, like the filmmakers got it together, made it and got it out into the world because there's just something exciting about seeing people pulling it together and doing something that feels new and different. A hundred percent. And I would rather see any day of the week, a horror film that's really swinging for the fences, being experimental, trying to do something that's never been done before on a shoestring budget, by the way, which we're told is impossible, but here it is. I'd so much rather see that than another run-of-the-mill jump scare CGI fest, you know, that's not scary, smile, uh, that's not particularly well done, smile, but makes a a ton of money because it's like, what else are we going to see? I would rather be challenged by a film like Skinamarink where, as I said, the first third, I was like, is this ever going to pick up? And then I was like, oh, this is it. This is what it is. I'd rather see that any day of the week. Absolutely. And it's just uh, another moment to appreciate that some of these niche outlets, Shudder, are doing really, really cool work when it comes to looking for genre films and supporting filmmakers, Um, like recognizing that there's a lot of room to make cool investments. And it is terrifying that the way that streaming consolidation is happening and studio consolidation is happening and uh, companies are hedging their risks in ways that end up like pulling perfectly viable products. Well, productions, I will not call them products uh, from circulation because it gives them a tax break. All of this stuff happening, knowing that there are places that are trying their best to continue to to ferret the stuff out, like actually make it like taking these risks. Uh, I just wish there was a way to encourage it more than just going to see it. Yeah. Cause like, by the way, that's where our future talent comes from. It comes from like, somebody has to take the first risk to give you a bigger budget. And a lot of our, you know, great directors come from horror because, you know, you can do horror on a relatively low budget and like, the actors will work for less money. So like a lot of directors start there. And when you have a, yeah, when you have some of these major cable companies treating talent like shit, including yanking their completed projects before anyone can see them, you can just like flash forward a decade down the road where suddenly we're all going to be like, where did all the great directors go? And it's like, well, (laughs) you didn't fucking invest in them. (laughs) Like you didn't give them a chance and you didn't nurture talent. In fact, you treated talent like shit. So like, what do you think is going to (laughs) happen? People are going to end up not being able to tough it out. Like nobody expects this shit to be easy but it shouldn't be impossible. And you shouldn't abuse people. Like if people work for you, you should treat them with dignity and respect. You don't let them complete a project and then yank it because you get a tax break. Like, fuck you. If I was one of those actors or one of those writers or that director, you burnt that bridge forever. I'm never going to trust you again. And by the way, nobody else should trust you either. Yeah. And speaking of which, if it turns out that the writer's strike happens later this year, uh, we will be on it and yes. we should all be ready to do everything in our power to support those writers because yes. uh, it is, yes, just the writers of you know these workers, but creative industries have got to show solidarity, which means we should be ready to make some hard choices when it comes to making sure we're not crossing picket lines. Which, so if by that the way, becomes an issue, we will keep everyone updated. <laughs> which, by the way, also includes VFX artists. And like, if you are a Marvel fan and you like any of those films, or if you've noticed that the, the special effects are looking kind of shitty lately, it's because these artists are worked way too hard. They're, you know, being asked for impossible feats by Marvel and they're being abused. And, They don't have a union yet, but they are working towards that. And should they go on strike as well, we must support them as well. Absolutely. Um, 
we can always find a way to bring it back to labor. Exactly. Okay. So <laughs> now that I was just like, yay, experimental horror films, it's time for me to uh, eat crow and admit that Megan's awesome and I had the best time. Oh, I'm. it's so satisfying to hear you say that. <laughs> I like, admit I haven't seen it yet because I'm waiting to go with my sister and she's unable to. Right. Um, and that's Okay. All I really needed was to know that you ex- have accepted that you were wrong. It's it's so fun. Uh, my big fear was if you missed the episode where I was talking about Megan, I did acknowledge. I'm like, I'm probably going to love it. I had a fear that there's this sort of like growing trend towards virality in some of these horror films where it's like, are we doing things because it makes sense for the story or because we know people will retweet the gif of Megan dancing down the hallway, you know, like, are we coming from a sincere place? And I'm very happy to report Megan is incredibly sincere. It's a good story. Made me an Allison Williams fan. I mean, I guess I was already after Nope, but this sort of like solidified her as like, not a scream queen, but just like, Someone who's very good in this kind of genre. <laughs> like, she's Look, really good. We we need people to play, like, to play that kind of role because yeah. it comes up a lot. And it's not, like, she brings something interesting to it. Also, as I said, when I think you sent me, it was a movie announcement of Christopher Abbott also formerly of girls and Emma Stone in something. Yes. Uh, um, was that Edgar, the chain? Was it, uh, was it? I don't know. Was that the Edgar Wright one? Oh, yeah. Or was yeah, it yeah. the, okay. Yeah. I don't fucking know anymore. Uh, I love that the people who were the two, like most annoying out of, or <laughs> whatever, were not considered like considered terribly compelling in the early go of girls have now turned out to be the only ones who I will consistently go see in movies because they make interesting choices. <laughs> see, I was always, I really liked Marnie. Like I hated Marnie, but I liked Marnie as a character. And I'm so glad that girls, it's sort of being reclaimed right now by TikTok. Cause I think some people, <laughs> I think a okay. lot of people got like sick of Lena and we're like, I don't like you as a person because you're fucking obnoxious. Therefore, I hate girls. And now people are sort of being like, no, girls was legit good. Like, you can not like Lena. And you can also say that, you know, she was incredibly privileged that she got to have this show and tell her story. And like, we should extend this to, to more diverse artists. Like, all of that is true. And also, girls was good. And like, I thought Allison Williams was so effective as Marnie because guys, you're not supposed to like Marnie. Marnie's supposed to be annoying. Marnie's like everything about white privilege and trust fund kids that you hate. But Allison Williams is so good at playing that character and making it like compelling, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, but I I do think like it's great. Uh, everyone should be on the lookout for um, the, ne- uh, the Nun 2. I'm curious. I have, I think it could be a disaster, but also the writer of Megan and Malignant, Akilah Cooper, wrote uh the sequel to the mm-hmm. nun so i'm curious how it will go because he's showing an enormous amount of ability to make movies that are incredibly fun yes and uh like feel like something worth enjoying as part of the cultural moment and she's like very tapped in right now like she gets what people enjoy and like Mm -hmm. that is so satisfying because it's like she's a great writer she gets the moment and it's like yeah just let her do whatever like i'm very curious about the nun too because i i heard the the first one was not great Um, uh no it was not great yeah so i i'll Uh, be curious because like maybe she can improve it you know which would be great um, yeah. So- oh, I, I was, there was one really good take on Megan, uh, by a friend of mine. Uh, he goes to like one movie a year and decide, he asked me, should I go see Megan? And I said, yes, obviously, if this is going to be your one movie in the theater. Right. And his, his assessment was if this came out at a slightly different time, they really could have taken it to the like hereditary or smile, like this is really about, they could have leaned into the grief part of it more Mm -hmm. and made it more serious. But by embracing that there was supposed to be fun to the slasherness of it, uh, 
it like changed, like it made it significantly better in yeah. some ways. Like it- actually recognizing that there wasn't a need to like go after the like fetishized elevated horror element to it. It ultimately made a more successful movie. And I yeah. think although it's good. Ultimately, like they do address the grief stuff. And actually something the film does that I really, really appreciate is the therapist isn't the bad guy, which mm-hmm. actually happens so much, not just in horror films, but films in general, like portraying therapists as being like manipulative or evil or like, yeah, like an oppositional force. And for a second, you think that's going to happen in Megan and then it doesn't. And it's like so good <laughs> like so nice to see in a film where it's like yeah like therapy is not the enemy of, of whatever's happening um so yeah I I don't want to talk about it too much because I you haven't seen it and I don't want to spoil anything but yeah I it it's so fun and do try to see it with an audience if you can yeah uh which hopefully that will not be a huge uh a huge stretch to do since it seems to have been very successful they've already announced that there will be sequels and i guess you know this is it's gonna be a thing so 20 20 25 uh the the whole cast is coming back we hear so (laughs) so fun i will be there um so sticking with horror i also wanted to recommend sick on peacock i have now watched sick twice which I did not intend to do, but I had watched the first time because you had recommended it, Meredith. Mm -hmm. And then I visited Charles the other day um, and another friend of ours was over there as well. And they had not seen Sick yet. And I was like, you know what? I enjoyed it so much. I'll watch it again. And I enjoyed it just as much the second time. Yeah. A very simple premise. It's in the first month of lockdown. A young woman, college student and a friend go to her parents' lake house to ride out quarantining and suddenly end up having to deal with menacing slashers trying to get into the house and chasing them. Uh, And then, of course, there's a twist. But I thought it was fun. They did not. It was uh, love a movie under 90 minutes. Oh, so uh, good. You know, keep it keep it tight, focusing entirely on just bringing the scares, bringing the attempts to uh, escape, bringing the attempts to survive. Uh, it worked really well. Um, I wouldn't put it in my top tier of confidence porn horror movies, <laughs> but I was, you know, pleasantly surprised. Also, excellent uh, performance by the lead actress, uh, Gideon Adlin. Yeah. So I have like a very specific compliment for this film, which is, uh, first of all, I thought the staging of the fight scenes and stuff were so great. But and this is just a general note to directors in, you know, like at large. But if you're going to have fight scenes uh, between some kind of attacker and a woman, it really, really helps sell it if the woman looks like she could fight <laughs> like and and <laughs> both true. of these women both of these women there's two women who are like the leads the co-leads uh in this film uh are they're not like you know UFC fighters but like they're solid girls and like watching them in fight scenes i was like this is so much more believable than a girl who looks like she'd break in half if you touched her you know yeah absolutely i was much more sold on them being resourceful. Um, yeah. And like fights. they could do damage yeah. and like they could like defend themselves. You know, like I bought all of that. They just look like, you know, I hate this word, but they look like feisty gals, you know, where I'm like, yeah, I could see them like standing up for themselves in an yeah. a- efficient way. I both believed that they were capable of holding their own while partying hard and able to hold their own in a fight, which turns Perfectly out to be put. important for... Uh, for the plot overall and for making it fun. Once again, and you know, I don't know if listeners feel this way, but my letterbox is absolutely full of three and a half star movies. Yeah, I know. My and name. I think Sick is probably a three and a half star because sure, it's nothing. It's not extraordinary, but it's extremely effective. And to me, that pretty, you know, if it can surprise me, that's where the half star comes in. I'm if- like. 
give it to me. If you've got good actors and a compelling story and you put the work into fight choreography and staging, I'm there and I'll have a good time and your friends will have a good time watching it with you. And that's all you want, you know? Yeah. I think uh, we just need to accept that, yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's right around that. (laughs) And that's okay. Yeah. Um, So my last recommendation I have is not a shocker because it was like one of the most anticipated premieres of the year. But The Last of Us is quite good, everybody. Um, You know, based on one of the most successful video games of all time, very beloved by, by its fans. Pedro Pascal, what more do you want? Um, And look, I know everybody's sort of tapped out on (laughs) zombies and post-apocalyptic shit, and I get it. I really get the fatigue, especially after, God, the fact that people still are watching The Walking Dead or it's still on or just ended, I don't even fucking know. But like, we've now just been in this genre for so long. I get people being like, ugh, again, but it's really well done. And like, I've just seen the premiere so far. I hear episode three is like an absolute banger. So I'm very excited about that. But there is a genuinely terrifying moment in the premiere of The Last of Us that I won't spoil for everyone that is so well done that I was like, boom, I'm on board for the rest of the series. I'm on board. I have not watched it yet. I've just been really busy. And also, you know, winter madness has meant that I needed to get high and watch TV show from the nineties, uh, instead of watching new things. Valid. Um, but the, I'm, I'm looking forward to it mostly for the cast and to see if it's interesting. I, I know that I have zero experience with video games. So for me, someone showed me the like introduction scene to the last of us. And I thought, Oh, okay. That's, Oh, I get it. Now I see why the nerds are so into it. But, so here's um, here's yeah. my ultimate compliment of the video game. I've never played The Last of Us. I heard the plot of The Last of Us recapped on a podcast and it made me cry. <laughs> That's good storytelling, everybody. I never played the game. I never saw anything. The story is just that compelling. And also I should say it's written by, uh, the show is written by Craig Mason, who did Chernobyl, which is an absolutely incredible series. If you haven't seen it, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, a real sign that they're, they were treating this seriously, like a serious story yeah. from the very beginning because Chernobyl is extremely good. <laughs> and I still feel really awful sometimes when I just think about it. And Craig is very good at uh, Craig, like we're friends, but like he is very good at translating complicated stories, but also making them really palatable. Because whenever I would recommend Chernobyl to people, they would sort of like roll their eyes and be like, how is that entertaining? Why would I want to watch that? And I'm like, that is what Craig is so good at. Because you you hear that and you're like, I don't want to watch that. And then you watch it and he makes the characters so compelling, the story so compelling that it's like just very interesting to watch. And so I was very excited to hear that he was writing The Last of Us. And then I got even more jazzed because he was talking about how, you know, obviously the central relationship in this story is between Pedro Pascal's character and this little girl who he becomes responsible for throughout the story. And so he was talking about love and he was talking about how love is very powerful, but he's like, it can also be bad because you will do incredibly immoral things to protect someone you love. And that was such an interesting concept where I was like, ooh, like the downsides of that that paternalism, you know, where it's like, what is Joel about to do to protect this little girl? You know, like and it could potentially be very, very violent and awful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that's an insight that I really appreciate. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have a recommendation that's completely in the opposite direction. Yeah. Uh, So kind of going on the tradition that I have with my sister of watching the strangest, silliest movies, she and I were going to see plane, but then realized that it was only in theaters uh, rendering it impossible. So we decided to watch something else and picked the 1995 techno action thriller Virtuosity. Oh, which yeah. People is hilarious. Uh, it's like a 30 year old Russell Crowe. <laughs> 
absolutely chewing the scenery Ugh. as the physical manifestation of a VR program designed to catch criminals by like creating a super criminal. So he's like uploaded with all of the knowledge of all of these people who did crimes and like murderers and serial killers and stuff. Uh, and Denzel Washington is a cop who's in prison because of, uh, I don't even think I paid that much attention to it. So he's a former cop who's been imprisoned, who gets like furloughed to catch this guy. Well, physical manifestation of an evil, evil AI. Uh, and there's a ton of crazy early nineties virtual reality stuff. Oh my God. Like, like I like was just about to say chess with a hot woman who's like in underwear <laughs> and sort of writhing around on a couch while doing chess moves. The early 90s were so wild because when you were like Russell Crowe and Denzel Washington, I was like, oh, my God, like that is like two incredible actors or like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what happened to Russell Crowe, but he used to be good. Um, Yeah. And I mean, also William Fickner or Fichter, Louise Fletcher, uh, an incredibly creepy guy who plays the tech creator of this of Russell Crowe's character. But to have that uh, caliber, people, like, yeah, to have that caliber of a cast. And then you hear what the plot is and you're like, what the fuck? Like, that's the closest I can get to describing what the early nineties were like. We're like, you could have Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe in a film. It's a hundred percent going to be about a serial killer AI. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's just what a high concept pitch in Hollywood was. You know, we got these fucking weird films. Um, but yeah, that sounds incredible. I, I wrote it down on my list and I was like, virtuosity, where's that from? But of course it was you. Yeah, it was, it was me revisiting these things. It's if you haven't rewatched the net recently, oh my the God. movie in which Sandra Bullock is a brilliant computer programmer who uses the internet to order everything and never goes outside the dream. Uh, and then went on vacation has her existence completely erased and has to regain her like her personhood uh, because nobody knows what she looks like or who she is and then also expose a giant conspiracy um, which spoiler alert she does by saving all of the damning information onto a floppy disk you guys I saw that film in the theater like four times <laughs> I was obsessed with it. I was like, Sandra Bullock's the greatest actress of all time. This is the most brilliant film of all time. I like was so, I like, I was really obsessed with hacker films. So like hackers, obviously. Naturally. Uh, The net, but anything to do with that, I was just like fascinated. Oh yeah. Well, and, and much like every other movie from the early nineties that involved hackers, it has like, that club where everybody's dressed kind of futuristically and there's like techno music. The soundtrack to this movie rules. They sit at their computer all day, but they're the hottest people you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And somehow everyone in the entire city listens to like the chemical brothers and like William Orbit. And somebody's always playing a new Lords of acid song. Like it's just incredibly specific to a time. Um, much like vampires are always hanging out at a very hot after hours club. Ooh, with hackers are always eye? with a good, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Everybody in, in hacker movies ends up at a club that looks like it might turn into, um, might turn into Bergheim. It might turn into some sort of like weird pleather fetish thing. Never quite sure. Uh, but I just think that the more people need to experience this, madness because it's so unbelievably outrageous that I I just beyond the premise I can't explain it anymore than that well I'm sold and I'm sure you're all sold too so guys that's our episode for today we're out of time please follow Meredith on all the socials Meredith L. Clark Follow me at Allison Kilkenny. Follow the dang show at Light Treason Pod. If you're a fan of the show, you can go to lighttreason.news and smash that donate button or go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. That's where you get to skip the line and send us questions, comments, concerns, recommendations. We love a good recommendation. And yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your weekend, everybody. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs> 